Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're continuing our series on visions and values of restoration. Uh, these are values that we as a church see in scripture and believe that God has called us as a church to follow and, and to live by. Uh, last week we did an introduction to this by going over the, the topic of pursuing Jesus in his presence. And today we're going to be looking at biblical community and the local church. So my, my two older kids are not here right now. Uh, I and Elliot, they're learning their first language right now, English. Um, and I'm always surprised by the words that they come up with for certain things. Um, so, for instance, they refer to nap time as the bright sleep and uh, bedtime as the dark sleep. Um, they constantly refer to their heart as uh, they feel their heart beating instead of beating. Um, and then um, also movies can be interchangeable with both a television and an actual movie. Um, oh, wait, a big movie is a movie at the movie theater, in case you're wondering. So, <laughs> so these are some of the words that even if we've corrected them multiple times, there's still a chance I'm going to have to translate to their understanding uh, of the word, right? And similar to this, this morning I realized that we all have our own definition of what biblical community is, what the local church means. Um, and it's, it's mostly based on our experience, right? Some of us have grown up in the church and we have had wonderful experiences in the local community or our local churches. For others of us, maybe we have stories where, where our past communities maybe have fallen short and we have some hurt or resentment as a result. Uh, maybe some of us don't have never been to church before and we're still trying to understand what it means to be in a local community or a local church. So this morning, I'm not going to try to convince us that we need to necessarily be part of this local church, this biblical community, but I do hope that at the end of this day, you'll first of all understand what biblical community is, and also that you'll see what a privilege it is. It is a calling, but it's also a privilege that we have to, to meet together as a church. So we're going to be addressing some questions about what is biblical community, what's its purpose, what's, what's the role within our lives, and then how do we live it out? So to get started, I want to take a look at a passage. Um, I want to take a look at the original biblical community, um, the, the first church. And we're going to take a look at a passage in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. So if you have your Bibles today, feel free to turn there, otherwise we'll have it on the screen behind you. Yeah, starting at verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So when we read the book of Acts, it can be easy to look at this early church and to either distance ourselves from them or to put them on a pedestal, right? I remember when I first read the book of Acts, I was I was shocked. I thought this is really extreme the way that they're living, especially the part about how everybody sold what they had and lived commonly amongst each other. Uh, when I read that at first, 
to say to ourselves, the early church, they were filled with super Christians, right? There's no way that we can live that way today in our society. There's no way that we can live with that type of devotion, with that type of love or sacrifice for each other. But the truth is, if we, if we read past chapter 2 in Acts, we'll see that the early church was just like us. They, they were perfect. There was a lot of conflict and issues within the early church, just like we have in the churches today. But oftentimes we just write off a lot of what the early church did to further distance ourselves from the radical way of living. And when we do this, we, we might just miss out on what God is calling us to. So instead of focusing on the actions of the early church first, I think it's important that we focus on where the early church got this idea that they should live this way. What drove them to do this? The Bible doesn't tell us that the apostles necessarily told them to, to, to do this, to live this way. But it's almost like they instinctually started doing this, right? And to answer these questions, I think it's important to look at the context of uh, where the passage that we read in Acts a little while ago, where that came from, or what was happening at the time. We're not going to read through the entire chapter, but I encourage you, if you have time this week, read through Acts chapter 2 in, in the book of Acts as well. But we'll remember at the beginning of this chapter, in Acts 2, the disciples are gathered together. Uh, this is, of course, after Jesus had already been crucified. He was raised up again. Um, he had told the, the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit, and then he had ascended into heaven. And, and at the beginning of this chapter, the Holy Spirit comes and fills the disciples, and they immediately go out from where they were meeting into Jerusalem, and they begin miraculously preaching the gospel in different languages that they didn't know. And people from around Jerusalem, they, they heard their own languages spoken, and they begin to listen to what the disciples are saying, and eventually a crowd forms. The disciple Peter in this passage addresses the crowd about how the prophecy of the last days, spoken by the prophet Joel, was being fulfilled. How God promised to pour out his spirit on all people. How he was fulfilling that promise now. And how King David's words about an heir coming to the throne that would save God's people and, and rule forever, that was being fulfilled now also. And this was all being done through Jesus and because of Jesus. This was the same Jesus that the people of Jerusalem had just handed over to be crucified. But Peter tells them this, this was all part of God's plan. He says in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, the book of Acts tells us that the people were, were cut at the heart. They were convicted. And rightfully so, right? If, if it was true that Jesus was the Messiah that was prophesied about and promised throughout the scriptures, there's, there's really nothing worse they could have done than by denying him, mocking him, handing him over to be crucified. And the crowd realized, and they realized this, they, they cry out to the disciples, asking them, what should we do? Basically, do we have any hope after what we did? And Peter, Peter responds by telling the people, not only can they have hope despite what happened to Jesus, they can have hope because of what happened to Jesus. Because he was handed over to be crucified. Because God raised him up again. Even those who committed the very act of denying him, of mocking him, of handing him over to be crucified, they too can have hope because of Jesus. Peter tells them if they simply repent, repent of their sins, acknowledge Jesus as their Savior, the true Messiah, they, they will receive forgiveness of their sins. The book of Acts tells us that after the speech, around 3,000 people, they were repented, they repented and they were baptized and saved that very day. And from here, this, this line leads us to the passage that we started with this morning. 
this, this roughly 3,000 people, new Christians, um, they, this was the first community, this was the first church. And straight from here, this new church, they begin devoting themselves more to the apostles' teaching. They begin breaking bread together, caring for each other, selling their possessions for each other, opening their homes for one another. Some of you know this already, but the, both the timing and the location of where this all happened was significant as well. Like we read earlier, this all took place in, in Jerusalem, right? And this was the heart of many of the, the Jewish festivals and celebrations at the time since the temple was there. And this passage in Acts takes place right around the time of the, fe the festival of Pentecost, where Jewish people from all the surrounding cities and countries all over the Roman Empire, they came to Jerusalem to visit the temple. And, and so I'm sure that some of the 3,000 people knew each other, but this was a new group of diverse strangers. They were from different countries, and despite things like languages, different languages, cultural barriers, who knows what else, in less than a day, this, this new group of people became a family. So we talked about how extreme these people were living for, and this is, this is why many in the church began selling what they had and sharing their possessions with one another. Many of the believers weren't from Jerusalem, right? And they needed a place to stay. They needed food. They needed money in order to stay in that fellowship. So that's, that's what the people in the church were doing. They saw this need and they began immediately selling what they had to provide for those in the church. But, but what united this group of people and, and what caused them to care if anybody else could stay in the group, right? It wasn't the persuasive words of Peter that united the people. It wasn't the, the miracles that they were performing. It was even the fact that some of them knew each other, right? It was only the realization of their sin, their need for a Savior. And the revelation that Jesus, the one that they had just crucified, was that Savior. It was a revelation that despite handing him over to be crucified, Jesus still died as a sacrifice for them, that he loved them, and he was willing to be there beside the too. This is what united those 3,000 people. This is what the Holy Spirit revealed through the apostles to this new group of people. And it caused them to live in such a radical way. And now as, as we bring this back to today, how we as the modern church should look today, we, we need to start where the first church started as well. We need to start with the revelation that Jesus is our Messiah. Before we can talk about the purpose of the church or how we are to live as a church, we need to start by individually recognizing who the head of the church is and who the church is for. We need to start by asking ourselves, do I know Jesus? Do I have a relationship, a revelation of him? Is he my savior? Biblical community is, is found only in Jesus. It's different from any other type of community group that we can be part of, right? We're, we're living in a city right now where there's tons of different community groups available to us. Uh, we have groups centered around different cultures or ethnic backgrounds, uh, groups centered around different interests like sports or technology or business. But the difference between these communities and biblical community is that the former, they're, they're all human communities centered around human interests and desires, right? where biblical community is a spiritual one centered around Jesus. In his, in his book, Life Together, a theologian named Bonhoeffer highlights a few points about the differences between biblical community and human community. 
who scored where a few lives now. So human community, it starts out of human interest or desire. Where biblical community, it starts from truth. In human community, the focus is mostly on ourselves, right? What can I get out of this community or group? What can I contribute to this group or community? When we, when we no longer find fulfillment in that group, it's easy for us to either resent it or we just end up leaving, right? Where a biblical community, the focus is on God, His desires, and, and requires us oftentimes to lay down our own desires on His altar. Human community can itself, it can become an idol. We can get to worship human community since it starts from mankind and mankind's desires and it ends there. Whereas true biblical community, it starts from God and in the end Jesus is worshipped. And just to, just to clarify, it's not wrong for us to join these type of groups, these, these human communities that we have. But the, the danger comes when we start to get the two confused, right? When we start to bring in our human expectations and ideas of what communities should look like into biblical community, into the local church, and then that's when our, when our purpose gets replaced by those. Hugh showed last week a quote, we lose our way and we lose our why. And this is true for us individually. If we lose our individual focus on Jesus, We'll lose our way, we'll lose our purpose, right? And the same goes for us as a church as well. We can do amazing social work for our communities. We can have amazing music, amazing programs, great fellowship, we can be the friendliest people. But if we lose our life, we lose our focus on Jesus, what's the point of all this? What separates us from any other human community, right? You also mentioned last week that the church of Ephesus is a great example of this. In the book of Acts, we see that the church, the church in Ephesus, they did amazing things. People repented of their sins, there were miracles performed, the, the church grew immensely. But somewhere along the way, they lost their focus on Jesus. They lost their focus on who it was all for. And Revelation 2 4 tells us, Jesus says to them, Yeah, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. So even though they were doing so much good work, what was the work compared to the love of Jesus that they had when they first started? And the danger is just as real for us today. We can do amazing work as a church, right? But if it's not for Jesus and because of Jesus, the work in itself can become an idol. We can be generous with others, we can create many programs, grow to huge numbers, but if it's all not, for Jesus, because of him, all of these things, they can become idols in themselves as well. In the end, we'll just be creating another human community. Bonhoeffer says this, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal we must realize, it's rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. I mean, biblical community isn't something that we, we as humans need to create. It's already been created in and through Jesus. It does take effort on our part to participate in it, but we're just participating, right? We're, we're not creating the community that God has already created. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, where he gives to his beloved sleep. This passage has relevance within, within every part of our lives, but especially the church, right? We want to take part in that. We're, we're building what God is building. So it's, it's not labor in vain. 
in order to do this, we need to start with our revelation of, of Jesus and our love for Jesus, right? And when we do this, He will guide us as a church. He will tell us what He wants us to pursue. He'll share His heart with us. When we start with Him, we, He will align our expectations for the church as well. So just like we saw in the first church within the passage of Acts, they, they received a revelation of what Jesus had done for them. And as a result, their expectations and their actions followed, right? The way that they were living followed the revelation of Jesus. Things were probably not perfect for them. They weren't perfect for them. And they probably won't be perfect for us today since we're all still fallen humans. But when we do this today, our decisions and our expectations, our actions within the church will become much more aligned with His. So with that in mind, we should ask the question now, what is the purpose of biblical community? Why, why is it enough for us to have our own individual revelation of who Jesus is, to be saved, to go back into our normal human communities and, and call it a day, right? We believe that God is calling us to participate in the local church community, but what's the purpose? Why are we called to it? There was a, a book published fairly recently called The Great De-Churching. And uh, in it, researchers did a study on, on the church in the past 25 years, specifically the people who have left the church in the past 25 years. And as you can guess from the title, there, there were a significant number of people who have left the church. But what I found even more surprising is that only a small percentage of the people that left the church did so because they no longer believed in God. The majority of reasons included that it was, it was no longer convenient for them, it conflicted with their schedules, or because they experienced some sort of negative experience with, with people in the church. To many Christians, the biblical community or the local church has become deprioritized. This has been replaced with other priorities in our schedules. Safety and convenience have oftentimes taken the place of the deeper fellowship that we can have with other believers. And despite what trends we see in the church and despite what feelings we have about the church ourselves, why is it important for us to fight for biblical community? Why is it so crucial for us to meet together as a local church? And there's, there's many reasons for this, but I, today I just want to focus on one of them. And to answer this, we're going to take a look at a passage in Hebrews chapter 10. Just to refresh us on some of the context here, the book of Hebrews is written likely by the Apostle Paul. And he's writing a letter to the Jewish Christians at the time, the early church. And these Christians, they, they had faced some heavy persecution because of their faith. And some were even beginning to turn away from the gospel and rejecting their faith. Now in Hebrews 10, the author calls for those reading to, to persevere in their faith, both individually and corporately. We'll start at 10, verse 23-25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promises is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The author of Hebrews is encouraging this community of believers that the last day is approaching. They're waiting for Jesus to return, and they, they need to hold on to the hope that they have in him. And he first he addresses the individual Christian, how they are to persevere on their own. But then next, Paul instructs them that not only do they need to do this on their own, but for themselves, he also tells them that they need to have mutual concern for their brothers and sisters in the church. Their focus should first be on Christ and their hope in him, and their next focus should immediately be on his people and those in the church. 
He says in verse 24, not only is it important that we individually hold on to this hope that we have in Jesus, but it's also crucial that we spur each other on. And the writer tells us that in order to do this, we need to take action, right? We need, this is done through continuing to meet together. It's not enough for us to, to send prayers from afar or to encourage each other if we happen to run into each other in the neighborhood. Effort must be made to, to actively meet together. And this, this happens in the local church during uh, times of worship and prayer and fellowship. It happens when we open our homes to each other. It happens when we, we have coffee together throughout the week. We all just experience what it was like to not have this community as an option. During COVID, even though there is an abundance of virtual meetings and online church services, we as a local church, we lost the ability to experience this type of fellowship. We felt the effects of spiritual isolation. I saw one research report that said that as a result of COVID, those who don't believe in God, don't know if there's a God, and don't really care, that grew from 15% pre-COVID to 22% post-COVID. So without biblical community, many within the church did not persevere in their faith. In our individual participation within the church, it has an impact on both our, pers- our own perseverance and also the per- perseverance of each other's faith. Today, as, as we meet together on Sundays or throughout the week, we are spurring each other on through our conversations, through the way we show God's love to each other, through our shared lives with one another. We are encouraging each other's faith. This, of course, requires honesty, requires vulnerability, it requires the sacrifice of time, the humility of confession, the offering of ourselves to others that are oftentimes very different from ourselves. I will say that the biblical community is one of the areas that I feel we as restoration are doing very well. Whenever I talk to somebody about why they like the church, it always goes back to the people, right? We, we have members that are so encouraging, so loving, and so caring. And I agree we as a church are doing this very well, but as we continue to meet together, as we continue to grow, we need to fight for this love, we need to fight for this unity. Not just to remain intact, but to, to grow over time. In the time when this letter of Hebrews was written to the Hebrew Christians, there was persecution, there was discouragement, there were people falling away from the faith. And Paul recognized that the biblical community was given to them by God as a way to help those within the local church persevere. They needed each other in order to keep their eyes on Christ. And today, we are no different. We, we may not have physical persecution, but we also face daily discouragement. Everything around us is drawing our gaze away from Jesus. We constantly hear about how many are falling away from the faith, right? The devil hates our unity and and is constantly looking for ways to to divide us. So just like these early Christians in the first church needed each other to persevere in faith, we today, we need each other just as much, if not more so. Our participation in the local community, in the local church, is crucial for both our own perseverance, as well as the perseverance of our brothers and sisters in the church. Now, just to, to wrap things up very quickly, now I, I have a few practical takeaways to help us understand what it looks like to participate in the local church. Uh, you might hear what I'm saying this morning and be wondering, what does it actually look like? How do I participate in the local church? But first of all, if, if you're not currently a member of Restoration, 
and you feel called by God to make restoration to your home church, you meant to be in a member. We actually have a, a welcome to restoration lunch today after service, so if you're interested in learning more or interested in joining, I encourage you to stay for that afterwards. Or if not restoration, ask God which, which local church are you calling me to and commit to that church. Where we live in a country, in a city, where there are churches every few blocks, and it's, it's so easy to go from church to church to try to find the perfect one that fits our preferences, our lifestyle, our taste. I mean, I was guilty of this at one point as well. But the, the problem is, there's there's no perfect church around earth. Because every church is filled with imperfect people. And that includes restoration too, in case you're wondering. So there will always be something that we find that we're not completely happy with in any church. But instead, we need to approach finding a local church with the mindset that God is calling us to a specific church family for a specific season. We need to seek Him first with this choice. Just like any other life decision, right? We need to seek Him through prayer, through reading the Word, through listening to the Holy Spirit. And if we feel called to the church, then we need to align with the vision and values of that church and commit to that family. So if, if we approach finding a church home this way, not only will God lead us to the right church, but we'll also find that when we commit to that church, we'll have more grace for the imperfect things that we see in the church. When it's God who calls us to a church, not a program or a great worship team or great fellowship, we'll be more willing to, to fight for unity in that church. We'll persevere more in that church. Just like we said at the beginning, in order to form a biblical community, we need to start with that revelation of who that community is for. Second, if you are a member of Restoration, I just have three quick sub-points uh, to go over. Pray, invest, and build. First of all, pray. This isn't a sermon on the power of prayer, but I know that we're all familiar with, uh, with, with how powerful prayer is, how God wants us to speak to Him, seek Him in prayer, and how He answers us. One of the most important things that we can do while part of a church family is to, to pray for the church family as a whole. Pray for God to, to uh, pray for unity within the church. Pray for God to bring the lost so that the lost will be saved within the church. Pray for the leaders that will have wisdom to shepherd to lead the church with grace and love. Pray for your brothers and sisters in the church, whether it be for a specific request or, or just in general. It's so crucial that we lift each other up in church. We also need to, to pray together corporately. So join us for prayer and worship nights, or join us for pre-service prayer. We meet every Sunday at 9.30 to pray before the service. Individual prayer is just as important as corporate prayer. Second, invest. Each of us that is, is part of the local church, we're called to invest our time, our giftings, and our resources. We invest our time by, of course, attending church gatherings, such as Sunday service, worship and prayer nights, life groups, meeting together throughout the week. We invest our giftings by using the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. And we, we invest our, our resources by, first of all, bringing tithes and offerings, but also through our generosity and hospitality towards others in the church. So within each of these areas of investment, we are displaying trust in God that He is the ultimate provider of our time, of our giftings, of our resources. And lastly, build. We first of all need to, to build our relationships with one another. The primary corporate way that we do this is through life groups. 
So if you, if you haven't joined a life group or not currently part of a life group, I encourage you to, to join one. We have groups that meet uh, throughout every twice a month, excuse me, all over the city, pretty much every day except for Friday and Sunday, I believe. Uh, so if you're interested, check out our website because we have all of the life groups there. This, this can also happen when we spend time together during the week, not church events, throughout the week. And second, more importantly, we need to focus on our, our own personal relationships with God, building our own personal relationships with God, with our, with our revelation of who Jesus is. Even though we are part of the church family, we worship together, we read the word together, we pray together, it's crucial for us to have our own personal times of worship, reading God's word, worshiping him, praying individually. 1 John 1.7 tells us, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. It needs to start with our own personal revelation of Jesus, our own relationship with God. Only when we do that are we able to really pour into each other in the church and build each other up. I pray for us now. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the church that you are building both globally and locally here at Restoration. I help us not to lose focus on what this is all for. Jesus, we, we want this church to be built for you and because of you. Show us things that we need to let go of, things that we need to take on. We ask for your protection as a church. That we wouldn't be divided, that we would be united in our love for you, Jesus. Pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.